It's Monday the 18th of July 2022. My name's Alex Elliott and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland, what's been happening in Iceland this past <laughs> week, why it happened and why we should care. It's my pleasure to be joined today by another returning guest before The Week in Iceland takes a bit of a summer break. It's the linguist and lecturer of Icelandic, Jón Simon Markusson. Welcome to you. Thank you. Uh, the French company Ardian will cancel its purchase of communications hardware firm Miele from Siemens if the conditions imposed by the competition authority are enforced. One of the conditions is a particular problem for Ardian and talks will take place with Siemens and the competition authority to try to save the 78 billion kroner deal. Less than 60% of the population is in the National Church of Iceland for the first time ever. The government and municipalities have launched a housing project that will roughly double the number of new homes being built in the country. Iceland has come out top of the World Economic Forum Gender Equality Index for the 13th year in a row. Medical services are in the spotlight yet again as a new board has been appointed to make improvements at Landspitali National University Hospital and medical professionals, including nurses, will likely be offered the chance to work until the age of 75 if they want to. And finally, Carbfix has secured a 16 billion kroner EU grant to start a new carbon capture project at Strömsvik. And finally, 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 the Icelandic women's national football team plays France later today in a crucial match to make it through to the knockout stage of Euro 2022. Where would you like to begin? I don't know. I'm not very interested in football, but I think it's probably quite significant that um, a women's team is, is doing so well. In terms of, for, for you know representation and stuff like that. Well, the Icelandic women's football team has been pretty good for a long time, mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah. better than the men's team for for a long time. There, but I saw a meme the other day uh, about a football team scoring. I think it was eight nil, um, and someone said if uh, two men's team had, had had played this match, it'd be all over the news everywhere. Mm. Um, so, despite. Uh, the um, uh, great success of the Icelandic women's football team, they don't seem to get the uh, coverage they deserve. And nor does any women's uh, sports, really. Mm. Um, I mean, at the moment, maybe that's not true. I think uh, it's kind of very much in the the, the, the the front half of the news most days. There's the Euro, Euro 2022 that's happening in England right now. Mm. Um, but yeah, perhaps overall it's not. I don't follow football, so mm. no. Representation is important. Absolutely. Um, Iceland, for those of us in the room who perhaps don't follow football very much, Iceland drew the first two matches against uh, Italy and Belgium. Italy? Yes. Italy and Belgium. 1 1 mm. in both cases. So Iceland second in the group at the moment. France are all but through already, uh, having won both of their games. When it when it France that booted the Icelandic men's team out of the, uh, right. the World Cup or what was it the European Championships or the World Cup I can't remember yeah European Championships L- L- that rings a bell mm. chance for revenge mm. dish best served cold <laughs> <laughs> well it's they've got a good chance today um, possibly because France might be a little bit off of the gas pedals so to speak because it's not such a high pressure game for them. Mm. Um, so wait and see and then if yeah losing the game would be bad uh, another draw but, you know wait and see it could might not be the end of the world um, Italy and Belgium will be playing each other so 
it, it could go any way, um, especially if they drew, if Italy and Belgium drew, which is quite unlikely, but if it happened, then, um, then Iceland would go through. Otherwise, yeah, wait and see. I mean, it's interesting. It's uh, one to watch. It's going to be on Ruv live on Ruv later on today. I think it starts at seven o'clock. Interesting if you like that sort of thing. Yes. <laughs> well, maybe you should watch it and, and then... Maybe I will. <laughs> you won't, though, will you? I ain't got a telly, so no. <laughs> All right, next topic. What else stood out to you? Um, possibly the, the, uh, the dwindling, the, the death rattle of superstition. Uh, as a uh, cultural influence on people's everyday lives in Iceland. Yeah. This would be the National Church news. Yeah. Yeah. Great news. I mean, how significant is it? Because the yeah, the proportion of the nation enrolled in the National Church is down. Yeah. That is true. Um, but it's still by far the biggest religious organisation. Mm. And... Also, on top of that, because there's this element of state funding, taxpayer funding for religious organisations and, what's the word they use? Um, lifestyle stance organisations, for example, the humanists. Um, people, by and large, choose to be registered to one of them because otherwise that funding from their tax just goes straight to the treasury. Um, so being a member of one of these organisations doesn't really mean you, you have to be engaged in it. And so many people don't go to church that no. are members. No, no, I think that's even more positive news. <coughs> um, the fewer people allow superstition to to guide their lives, the better. And uh, I would prefer my money went to the Treasury. Uh, I think it would be money better spent um, than on peddling superstition and, and, and macabre um, notions. Don't get me wrong, I mean, you know, I'm a goth, right? I go with macabre all the time, but... Um, it's kind of a, an, an attempt to impose an anti-reality on, on society. Um, whereas uh, the, the armies of God want to impose their notions as, a, as, as an actual reality onto us. Um, they do know, have a our everyday lives. large amount of cultural um, um, capital and, and the churches themselves, of course, beautiful buildings by and large. They take a lot of upkeep and money to blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. There is, it's more than just the religious ceremony itself that this touches. Well, buildings are great. You know, Buckingham Palace is a wonderful, uh, beautiful building, but it would be better if the royal family didn't live in it. I think mm. uh, the same with the church. Let's, I'm all for looking at churches, um, but I want the people that spend time in them to look at them quietly and not to share any strange notions with me or my brother's children. Okay, um, that's a quite a clear opinion from me there, which yeah. is exactly why you're here on the show. Um, other religious organisations have seen their numbers going up, so it's not all one way. Uh, for example, we've got the second, third and fourth biggest organisations registered are the Catholic Church, the Free Church of Reykjavik and the Free Church of Havnafjord. They've all gone up. Mm. Um, so it's not a clear black and white picture. Um, and then others like the Humanist Association, the Alsa through Pagans are up as well. Mm. But also people that are not in any organisation and whose money does go to the Treasury are also up. Yeah, I mean, that might be relevant, uh, relative to the, the the decrease in numbers in, in Fjordkirka, right, um, mm. as well. 
Let's hope so, anyway. And I would assume um, demographics have got something to do with it as well. Um, I would assume, without having done any research, that you're more likely to be a member of the National Church of Iceland if you're born and raised in Iceland than if you moved here later on, because the National Church of Iceland doesn't exist in other countries, so you, mm-hmm. you might be less likely to register yourself to that than one of the others, yeah, yeah. Um, especially the Catholic Church, because mm-hmm. we've got a high proportion of, for example, Polish um, mm-hmm. expats living in Iceland, and they yeah. probably grew up in the Catholic Church. Yeah, yeah, I think the same would would apply to people from the Philippines. Mm. Um, and, you know, I mean, I was raised Catholic in London. Um, I, of course, wouldn't register myself in a, uh, the Catholic Church, but I think if my uh, an aunt or uncle of mine moved to Iceland, they probably would. Mm. Um, um, okay, anything else to add on that? Or would you like to move <coughs> on to a different topic? Yeah, move on. What else do we have? Uh, there's the fascinating news about um, uh, Mila and Seamen, um, which really isn't fascinating, apart from the fact that it's a huge money deal and it relates to sort of national security on a certain level. Um, but it may not be that interesting. There is the housing project. Yep, I'm all for that. Okay, Um Inflation in Iceland is largely driven by increasing property prices. Increasing property prices have largely been driven by a lack of supply of homes for sale. Mm -hmm. Therefore, building a lot more homes, probably a good thing. Or what? Well, um, from the common sense point of view, uh, then yeah, but I don't know. I mean, I'm not an economist, I'm a linguist. Uh, To me, it sounds like the logical solution if what you just said about interest rates being pushed up is true and i have inflation inflation sorry Mm. uh inflation uh being skyrocketing as to do with the the factors that you just mentioned then logically it makes sense to build more homes right um although i did read in an article this week that it could be a double-edged sword um the more homes, the better. You know, the the more opportunity for young people to 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 buy a home, hmm. uh, and uh, well, if you know, if if buying homes is 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 the the uh, uh, the in thing to do, you know, I mean, as someone who vibrates to socialism, I would say that uh, I'd like the, the the state to build social housing and, and guarantee um, people. Uh, Security within four walls and mm. under a roof, but um, I mean, under the system today, renting is always a lot more expensive and a lot less secure, and doesn't generate sort of assets and wealth, personal exactly. wealth for the future, and therefore, at least under the current system, yeah. owning a house is is good. Yeah, of course, yeah. you build too many new houses, and their value goes down. Mm-hmm. That would be bad for everybody. Uh, it's a kind of a double-edged sword in that regard. You want them to go up sustainably. This 25% that we've been having per year is unsustainable. Yeah, it's completely unsustainable. And I think that the uh, the lesser of two evils, um, if everyone has a secure home, guaranteed home, um, that kind of offsets or it, it uh, nulls, in my opinion, uh, the the, I'm, I'm kind of doing the quotation marks in the air uh, the problem of um, 
of the property of your your flat or house going down. Mm. People need uh, a secure, guaranteed place to live. Uh, that's the most important thing. Yeah, and what role having more housing available to buy plays in that, and also then what role perhaps regulation and and stabilization of the rental market has to play as well? Because I think there's always a place for rental housing. Today, a lot of people who are renting do not want to be renting. They're doing it out of necessity. Mm. But there always will be people who want to. Of course. Yeah. Um, and maybe making that more attractive and, and just less outright expensive than it is. Um, we need to make sure that that's a choice mm. that people are allowed to make. Um, like you said, the majority of people who are uh, renting today don't want to rent. Um, if, if, if they want to rent, fine. Mm. But people need the choice. Uh, I mean, we see uh, what happened with the uh, the right to buy scheme in the UK um, under Margaret Thatcher. You know, loads of social housing was um, sold off um, at really low prices. And don't get me wrong, I mean, great, it, it got people onto the, the property ladder, but um, it caused a massive um, shortage of, of, of homes for uh, people that couldn't afford to buy their own home. Mm. Um, uh, yeah. That sort of system, I don't think ever existed in Iceland, in the, at no. least under the same scale. So it wouldn't be that sort of a step change, that jarring of a jolt to the uh, to the housing economy. No, but the, you know, building homes, I think, for, for social housing is is extremely important. Hmm. Uh, I think five percent of the proposed number would be social housing. It's quite a low yeah. number, isn't it? Hmm. Um, when there are people that are forced into the rental market who were then, uh, with their rent, paying the mortgages of the landlords and, and uh, really uh, to no personal gain. Mm. You mentioned this double-edged sword potentially uh, on the inflationary front. I think that stems from the pressures caused by the building itself. So employing a lot of people to build houses, importing lots of materials, this sort of thing can in and of itself drive up inflation, mm. even though the overall effect would be downward. I think that was the potential pitfall that was mentioned. Yeah. If we need more housing. They need to build more housing. Um, mm. If there are problems with that, then there are problems with it. Um, but the alternative is worse. Mm. I mean, the population keeps rising. Yeah. People have to live somewhere. Exactly. End of story. Exactly. Yeah. <gasps> On that note, um, <laughs> carry on, move on to something else? Yep. Or, yeah. There's the carb fix story, which is quite interesting. Um, oh, yeah. Hospitals. Carb fix is, is uh, I found that very interesting. And I was very pleased that they got the, the what was it, 16 billion? Yeah. Krona mm. grant. Wonderful. It's a... Uh, the, the, the people who are part involved in the project um, or the initiative must and should feel very vindicated um, that their hard work has paid off. Yeah. Um, so this system, this project, this um, method is, is already being used in Hetasele, uh, I think. Mm. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, and they're pumping carbon from uh, emissions from the geothermal plant down into the ground mm. where it carb carbonates carb it becomes 
rock. Well, it calcifies, there we go, that's the yeah. word, uh, into the basalt rock over the course of two years and, and sort of is locked there mm. ostensibly forever. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. And now this grant is for a brand new project to do this up by Strømsvik, the mm. aluminium smelter in Hapnefidr. Yeah. Um, uh, but I'm not quite sure the specific details, but the, this new project will be one that's never been seen before. It'll be a, a, complete, a new method, mm-hmm. arguably, I guess, a, a better method, a more advanced method. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. It is really interesting. And I like rocks. Uh, Good for you. Yeah, I'm very pleased. <laughs> very pleased about it. I'm afraid I don't know <coughs> very much about um, the mechanism or the process or, or anything like that, but... Um, mm. It's it's wonderful that uh, an Icelandic uh, initiative has, has received this recognition, yeah. uh, and it seems like it's you know from from a lay person's p- uh, perspective um, a very positive thing. Mm. Well, the results of it are great. Yeah. You, you're locking this carbon away; it's not going anywhere. It's not just being stored. For example, in other places, for example, in the North Sea, the pumping it down into old gas wells, mm. um, which has a similar effect, but it's not certain that it's permanent. Mm. Um, so from that point of view, it's great. Um, but you do need a certain type of rock. It has to be this basaltic um, bedrock, mm. which isn't available everywhere. Okay. Iceland, of course, really good place for it. Yeah. Uh, it takes quite a lot of water. Again, Iceland, quite a good place for mm. that. But yeah. uh, in, in the world, generally, there's a lot of water problems. And I think it takes energy as well, so it's it's not something that would work everywhere for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, this would then just drive initiative and and innovation, I suppose, to to for people to find solutions that um, work for you know utilizing their surroundings to satisfy their needs. Um, it, it would just drive innovation. Mm. I think it's interesting that the company don't they're not sort of marketing this, advertising it as a solution to climate change so much as they are saying we we need to cut emissions and we need to do sequestration and storage. Mm. We need to do both uh, to, to reach our targets. So it's not... Because some people have been sort of worried that carbon capture and storage is a bit of a, a, a sort of a red herring, mm. uh, so to speak, meaning that people can sort of rely on that and, and forget the carbon cutting mm. uh, which wouldn't work i think it's a, a cog in the in the wheel you know these are different cogs in the in the same wheel mm. the mechanism <sighs> definitely um the 16 billion kroner is one third of the total cost of the project um so okay. it's very significant but they have to get more money from elsewhere um yeah. but it looks like that will happen yeah. um good and yeah it's, it's very interesting <coughs> I'm not sure if I have anything else to add on that. No, I don't know anything about it. I don't feel <laughs> that I'm qualified to to talk about anything else in uh, uh, in connection with the uh, carpets. I suppose a few people have been asking why an Icelandic company is getting European Union funding. Um, simple answer to that, of course, Iceland is in the European Economic Area yeah. and pays its dues, yeah, yeah. despite not being an EU member. Many EU citizens living in Iceland. I mean, it's. Uh, it's the right thing to do all round, mm. definitely, in my opinion. Yep. Um, okay, do you want to talk about the hospitals quickly? Yeah, I want to talk about people working till 75. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Um, it's problematic. This is, this is problematic, uh, but at the same, I'm kind of on the fence about it. You know, I can imagine, uh, or I know people, for example, working at the university that have had to stop at, uh, had to um, uh, stop work at seventy mm. that haven't wanted to, uh, and are still very active in their research and, and publications. Um, but you know, reaching seventy just meant that they didn't have an office. Uh, provided by the university, by the government, by the state, to continue their research. Um, so I'm sure there are lots of people that would like to continue after 70. Um, the problem, the, the, the problem is though that uh, it, it will be kind of become normalised that mm. people, that some people, want to carry on after 70 until 75, and then it will become the the age. The, you know, the, they'll extend. Uh, the age generally for everybody you have to work until you're 75 hmm. um, that is something that worries me um, instead of uh, pumping being more generous you know pumping money into uh, the uh, the system a very important service um, yeah yeah it's an interesting one um, yeah. choice is great if people really want to work to 75 mm. then good yeah the question is how many people that would apply to, how many will actually want to do that, and then, as you say, avoiding anyone being pressured into doing it and, yeah. and it, it becoming the new norm. Indeed. Because I mean, nurses we, we work so hard. The government trying to squeeze every drop of, um, of, of uh, ability to work out of people in the end. Hmm. That worries me. Especially nurses. Their, their jobs are very hard, very demanding, physically and emotionally. Um, and they're not paid anything like nearly enough. Mm. Um, actually, the way that they're expected to perform this extremely vital role for next to no money is a disgrace. Um, and I would resent those people that um, I would resent those people being milked dry until seventy-five, if that ever becomes mandatory, or the kind of the standard age for retirement. Mm. And separate to that issue is the extent that to which it will help. I mean, for a start, as I said, will ev will anybody actually want to do that? That has yet to be known, to be found out. But also, um, is it just like papering over the cracks, you know, mm. and not really dealing with the problem as it stands? Oh yes, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a it's a papier mâché papier mâché solution. Mm. Um, the government needs to invest more in the health service. It needs to um, treat nurses and healthcare staff with more respect. It needs to value healthcare staff mm. more than it does. And this is a way of getting around that. Yeah. Yeah. A temporary one. Mm -hmm. Well, hopefully. Yeah. You know, unless it becomes unless seventy five becomes the new seventy. Seventy even itself is is quite a high age. Um, I don't think so at all. There's plenty of life left after seventy. I'm not meaning that, of course. Um, but people want to have a long and happy retirement, and they've worked oh, a long time to deserve it. Can people not retire in Iceland before seventy? Yes, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think seventy is at the moment the maximum age. It's not the required yeah. age. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's the maximum age, and a lot of people do go on till seventy. Mm. So extending the maximum age is even more of a 
interesting proposition because I don't know how many people are staying till 70 as it is. Um, I know that, it, for example, at the university, it's the norm that people stay on until 70. Some people quit early, but, you know, maybe they go into other projects. Mm. Um, but uh, when I say quit, I don't mean give up. You know, they, they kind of start working on other stuff. But um, I could imagine that people in, you know, that people who work in, in uh, an industry or a job for which they have a call-in would want to stay on as long as possible. Yeah. Um, yeah, but this is a uh, this issue with the nurses then until seventy five is uh, I'm afraid, like I said before, papier mâché solution to a larger problem. Absolutely, but something has to be done, and maybe temporary solutions are, by their very nature, stopgap solutions, and and, and maybe things will be done. I mean, yeah, or the government could pull their finger out and and, and start uh, paying nurses their due respect. Yeah. And getting more people to study nursing and want to become nurses. Uh, exactly. Because which would involve... It's a hard job. Which would involve uh, value in nurses. Mm. Yeah. Amen to that. Uh, okay. I think that might be a reasonable juncture at which to say we are out of time. Mm. Why not? Um, the Week in Iceland is going on a bit of a break now. Uh, but it will definitely be back, be back with you before long. Um although quite possibly with a different presenter. Or maybe with the same presenter for at least another show or two. Wait and see. However, if it does turn out that this is my final episode, then I'd like to thank everybody for listening. Uh, for four years, the week in Iceland has meant that Mondays don't feel too much like Mondays to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to thank my give or take 100 guests who have generously given their time over the course of 165 episodes and counting. As I say, The Week in Iceland will be back with you soon enough and news articles will be posted on ruv.as forward slash English as usual. Among the guests who deserve the most thanks for coming on the show most often is indeed Jon Sima Markusson. Thank you once again for coming. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Uh, we finished today where it all began with Don't Know How to Love, the song from Gus Gus, which was new when this programme started in 2018 and which has provided the soundtrack to nearly four years of The Week in Iceland. Here it is in its full original version. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.